uh, all you have to do is look at the the news. You see kids out on the street rioting, and and or you see kids looting, and and they think it's okay. It's okay. It's not okay. It's all right to have freedom of speech, absolutely, but it's how we handle ourselves. Okay. If you're going to go out in the street, I don't care if you're young adults or if you're younger. I had people call me when they're younger. Even I had the young call yesterday. Um, but the point is this. Um, we do know right from wrong, at least we should. If we don't, we, uh, we're told what is right and wrong just by watching the rest of and I'll put it that way, the rest of society. To go and loot in the stores and all the things the kids are doing, um, they look like young adults to me, hard to tell, um, is not good. And this is not what our country is supposed to be. And what's happening now uh, is outrageous. It's almost like genocide of the Jews again. That's what they're trying to do, okay? I'm not Jewish. My husband was. Um, I'm Catholic. And um, so, but I did learn about a lot of things. And uh, what's going on is totally, totally outrageous. How is it going to end up? I haven't the faintest idea, okay? I have my own personal thoughts. Unfortunately, not very good. All right, enough of that for right now anyway. So um, I, I believe in you know, speaking a little bit about current affairs, um, because a lot of times current affairs have to do with how our children behave, all right? And current and past, okay? And uh, that many times forms what's going on today. Now, I happen to be looking through the website, and our website is NASCA, that's N-A-A-S-C-A dot org, NASCA dot org. And I came across an article that struck me, and I'm going to use that tonight. Um, her name is Claudia Quigg. And if you're listening, Claudia, I'm using your material. I just want you to know that, you know, I'm sure you put it, you posted it so you want everyone to see it. And I, I agree with a lot of what you say here. And uh, this is why, you know, educating public is so, so important, okay? Now, this is written by, again, her name is Claudia Quigg, and it says, here, pay attention to the signs of child abuse. Every adult in society must serve as a guardian of all the children growing up in it. And that's a very true statement. We can't, you know, we need help. We need to help each other, okay? We need to look at our kids. Um, she, Claudia was astonished recently when a successful businessman, he's around middle age, I guess, whom she knew from school, sat down next to her. I guess they were out by the buses or whatever. Maybe she was from the city. That, I don't know where she's from. And uh, they were talking, and she realized who she was speaking to. And he described the abuses which he suffered as a child. And he was very detailed. He didn't leave anything out. And and she broke down and cried. She broke down in tears. Now, she was a little bit older than he was. and um, But still, no, you know, she didn't know the signs. He was only 12 years old when she actually knew him in school. And she was older. His abuse was occurring regularly. She didn't suspect a thing. She then started to suffer feelings of guilt because she looked back. And now that she's older, okay, she has a good idea. And, and evidently she's, a, she's on the um, website, so she has a good idea of what the signs are. And she's saying if she had known the signs of it, she may have been able to help him. 
she may have been able to make a phone call. She has listed signs to look for. Now, she came from a good home, didn't know too much about abuse, okay? She shares signs of neglect and abuse, hoping to enlighten others. This is what we do on NASCA. All right, a neglected child may lack supervision and miss a lot of school. Beggars steal money for food or look uncared for. And his or her hygiene is probably quite poor, too. Now, that's neglect. Number two, an abused child may you know, show sudden changes in behavior or school performance. A former A student who stops doing assignments all of a sudden needs to be checked out and checked on. It could be a good problem at home, bad problem. Number three, an abused child may not receive help when they are injured or ill. Now, I know that Lori and I can already identify with a lot of this, and a lot of people in NASCA can. Parents don't get them help a lot of times when they're sick. These parents may want to avoid discovery. Now, what that means by discovery, and Lori, you know certainly what I'm speaking about, if they've been abusing their child, they don't want to take them to the doctor because the doctor might be smart and pick something up, you know, and that there's something wrong going on here. Number four, an abused child may have problems concentrating and may become silent and withdrawn. Number five, an abused child may always seem watchful, nervous. They're often on edge. That would be hypervigilance. Now, I suffered horribly from hypervigilance. At one time, in fact, I still do. At one time, oh, I'll give you an example. If I open up the cupboard and a cup is falling out, um, I'm most of the time right-handed because I wasn't allowed to be left-handed when I was a kid. That was considered a no-no. But th- that couple will be caught in, in midair, okay? It won't crash to the floor because I'm always on edge. Number six, an abused child may become a bully or abuse animals. Now, Worry and I were talking just, what was it, last Friday, Lori? I think so. I don't know. I was on three times last Friday. I don't remember which night it was. But um, it is domestic violence and, and also bullying abuse month. Now, I've often said this before because I've lived it and I've watched it. And I, I know, Nor, uh, you know, that uh, Lori has too because uh, she's from the Bronx and I lived in Staten Island. Hey, Lori, which one do you think is tougher Bronx or Staten Island? (laughs) Bronx. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) I think so, too. Oh, no. And and Staten Island was bad enough, believe me. People were lining up at the schools and shooting up all over the place, the school I went to in Travis, Staten Island. Yes, they were. All right, well, yeah, but I think probably the Bronx is probably a little bit on the rougher side. But um, many times these bullies, if you look into the home of a bully, Okay. Uh you're gonna find you're gonna find that they're being bullied in the household and they're they're being abused maybe, you know, other ways too. So that's something that people should take into consideration. When they see a bully at school, think about where they come from. Okay. And they, they need for social services to be better trained to go into the households of these kids and to know what signs to look for in a little better way. 
Um, I know that some years ago they were very poor with that. Okay, I happen to know I was a part of the system, so I know I can say that. So today I'm hoping that they're better. An abused child may become overly compliant, passive, or fearful, or many things. They can go overboard trying not to draw negative attention to themselves, too. They may become a people pleaser to avoid negative thoughts about them. Many times when you see kids who want to be the teacher's pet, they want to help here, help with us, blah, 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 on and on it goes. Um, I did that for a while. Yes, I did. And I have to watch myself because I can do it as an adult, too. Um, when kids come from abusive backgrounds, they can become bullies or they can become passive, like they say here, like this lady has picked up on, and um, and become a people pleaser. Don't be a people pleaser. Um, it doesn't do you any good, okay? I've done that for years off and on, and that's pretty stupid, all right? And I, I want to kick myself in the butt, but I can't. So, <laughs> you know, the point is um, it's good to give. It's good to help. Uh, it's good to – these things are all good. And I will say my mother that I had tremendous, tremendous amount of problems with who beat me, all kinds of stuff, put me in harm's way many times. I won't go into detail now. But uh, one thing, well, being rich helped, <laughs> right? They were wealthy people. But they they would teach me always to share and to give, and, and I, I got into that, and it followed over into my adulthood. Now I don't have that kind of money, so I can't do it, but that's what I did when I did, okay? All right, so. But this is some of the things you have to watch out for with kids, if you really study them. Um. They want to be liked, and also, too, even more than that, they're so negative about themselves, and they figure everybody else is negative about them, and might even pick up that they come from a bad home, so they'll become people pleasers, and that is to avoid negative thoughts about them. Number eight, an abused child may come to school early, leave late, and not want to go home. Lori, were you like that? Uh, I hated to go because I needed my sleep. Couldn't wait to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Even though as bad as it was at home. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can understand I was bullied, that. you know. I was just, where do you get beat less at with me? So, <laughs> a couple of things you read, though, already. I don't know if you want me to wait until you finish the list or go No, back. you can go. You can start right now. Go ahead. If you remember what two um, songs they were. It dawned on me when you were talking um, about people not getting the care for their kids because they want to hide what they did to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, the trip where my brother threw me out the window that one, and um, I never saw the hospital. It just dawned on me that that was probably a big reason that Gilda didn't even call for medical care. I mean, she almost killed my brother just like a year before. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that. So, yeah, that one hit home. So, yeah, I really sometimes be reminded to actually get that last puzzle piece in there. Yeah, so that was pretty good. Oh, well, my. You know, that, that, that's so true, honey. I mean, I, um, I think a lot of us on NASCAR, every once in a while someone will write an article like this, and I pick it up because I think it's quite good. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like a light bulb goes off in your head. 
Oh, yeah, that's why, okay, <laughs> you know. And the same with me. My mother used to switch my legs, you know, until the waltz would come out because I didn't want to clean up after my brother, who was five years older than me. Why should I? He's five years older than me, right? And um, But I would stand my ground at times, and then I'd get beat for it. Well, if I had a cold at the same time, one time I had, I had strep throat, okay? And um, finally she took me to the doctor, but my legs still had, like, stripes on them, okay? They weren't... Uh, the the waltz had gone down, but there's still marks, okay? And the doctor questioned. He did. He said, what are these marks on your daughter's legs? Oh, she goes out in the woods and she plays all the time. She's always running into uh, sticks and stuff. See? Now, I needed antibiotics badly, and so therefore I got the uh, antibiotics that I needed. But he was giving her strange looks. So you're right. You see, and so there's this lady that wrote this article because she knows that she had, you know, put stripes all over my legs, okay, well, we boarded that way. And um, she probably should have taken me to the doctor sooner, all right? So with you, in your case, for God's sake, you got thrown out of a a two-story window. Wasn't it two-story? Yeah, it was pretty high up there. I was yeah. like four years old, so it was even higher. That's I'm surprised right. I hit with such power that my head crushed. And uh, I think at that stage, maybe a child's head is still soft, which is another reason not to punch your, head, your child in the head. That was on that last show we did. Uh, but, yeah, it crushed. I, I still can't figure out how I survived it. I should have been dead. Amazing, so I could see it? where she would want to hide that. Yeah, I could see that. Broke my back. I don't think the doctor would be thrilled. Yeah, I wasn't really walking well. Couldn't move. I hurt like hell. I had to get up when she was coming back at me. She beat me right after. She was going to keep at it. She didn't care. She didn't like me. You know, she was mad at me. <laughs> and, you know, for somebody my size, at four, this one, she was like five seven. A tall person, and she had these long arms, so it was really high up for me, everything. So I got bounced twice, once out the two-story, and then she threw me down for five foot seven. All I know is I hurt. Um, my first reaction was shock, but she did that and covered my head because I already knew you go in the fetal position, I have to cover my head, or she would just, like, punch it. So... That that does want engine. There's no way that a person can't be known to have had something that traumatic happen to them, you know, from looking at me. Because um, you know, I was just like <laughs> the person you were describing. I, I fit almost all the categories there of what I looked like. But the thing with me is because I was so quiet and I got all A's in school. No teacher ever questioned me. They wanted to throw my brother, year old, out. That's what mm-hmm. they would do for all year long. But since I was quiet, there was no need to, nobody cared enough. I didn't look good. I wasn't cute. I didn't have the person. I didn't even talk. You know, if you don't talk, you don't have a relationship. I didn't smile. I couldn't make eye contact, all of that kind of stuff. So that maybe that's why I could pick these people out so easily because I was like a 
a really bad form of them at one time. Something about me senses when something isn't right with a person. And something always is when I look at their eyes because I can read people's eyes and I can tell the kids that are being bullied and beaten and just not taken care of. And not so much here where I live, but most of my life was in New York. So I saw, you know, what I came from and even worse. And it increased with every kind of generation something else has added how to torture kids. So, yeah, it's a matter of um, these days, it's a matter of the bulk that's coming into the emergency rooms, the bulk mm-hmm. that's going to all the different agencies. There's just so many cases because there's so many people, and this country really is messed up, that it's not being taken care of. And you know, these poor kids... They're basically going to have to hold their own until they can, I don't know, somehow get out of the situation, either by age or by circumstance. I don't know what parents do to their kids. You know, hopefully <laughs> parents like who abuse should be in jail any which way. But um, it's, a, it's a generation with people with sanity, like here at NASCA, still have to educate even more people younger so they can get into the places that we can't. And we're basically disabled, so actually walking around and not, we don't do it. We need that younger generation, and they're coming forward. And I think Mm -hmm. NASCAR, like here Friday, man, I gained still so much. And I popped in here three times already. (laughs) There's no reason to give up. That, that's what I'm saying. After everything, there's no reason to give up. Once you don't give up, that means everything that happened to you did not win your brain. It was strong enough to fight it, and then you're going to come out. That's how it goes. That's right. I think that's, that's right. more than what you started with. <laughs> I don't know where well, I went. No, no. You did fine. You did fine. You see... So often, and this is what they mean by that, and I, I've seen it, I've worked with it, and oh my God, I used to work with this one kid who was like a mute, they couldn't even talk, they couldn't speak. Um, it's like they really, truly lost their voice. And so and naturally I, I looked up his records and so forth, and he, uh, horrible abuse, there you go. And, and you see, like I've said before, when you're terribly abused, you either go become inward, okay, to the point of maybe this kid, too, like being mute, for God's sake, not even wanting to speak. Um, he wasn't taught many things as a child. It's just like they, they threw food at him, okay, and uh, threw clothes at him, even as a two-year-old when he still needed help and all this other stuff. I'm not going to go into his records. Um, but um, he wasn't cared for. That's even more than neglect. I mean, this kid was just ridiculous. He lost his voice, Lori. And, and um, we've had um, we've had people on NASCA, one in particular, a guy, who would say that he was wallpaper, and that's because he was never spoken to. And if he if he did have any ideas about anything, no one wanted to listen to it because after all, he was nothing but wallpaper. He couldn't possibly have a brain, could he, you know, or a point to make. So when you're brought up in an atmosphere like that, 
Um, I was brought up somewhat in an atmosphere like that, but I was such a rough kid. I, <laughs> I started getting rough when I was four. Okay. Mopping blood off of my mother's face did something to me, I think, you know. I knew it was blood. And, and uh, God's sake, I wait for the monster to get out of the house. It wasn't my father. Thank you, Lord. I don't want him to be my father. But uh, I didn't know that at the time. And um, he was drunk, and he'd leave the house, and then I'd go tend to my mother. Now, I know and this happened. This is very common. It's too common. Where kids, and I, I know that you're a part of this also, where you become like an adult before you even have a childhood because you're so busy taking care of people, right? Absolutely. There That's why I tell you, I'm a caretaker. That's what I was born to do. Take the abuse mm-hmm. and take care of the abusers. <laughs> Just goes. Just goes. Wonderful. <clears throat> I've got a bad throat tonight. Hold on. <clears throat> But anyway, um, no, <laughs> wait a minute, no, don't take care of the abusers. See, that's that's the problem, you know. There's good people who, you know, you, you put yourself, we get put into the role of taking care of people, like I said, at, at, at an early age because of what's going on. Even with my awful brother with the terrible abuse that I got from him, which started uh, at an early age with me, with him. But um, if people picked on him, I would pick up rocks and throw them at him. Not my brother, at the people who were, you know, picking on him. I was so used to, like, taking care of people in in the family from four, five, six, six years old that, um, and then I got put into another place to live, which is the pedophile house. We know about that. But um, the point is you, you get into a mode of, of being the caregiver, taking care of and, and doing things. You know, that, like when I worked at Greystone, many times they put me down in medical services. I didn't like it. <laughs> Let me tell you something about old people and being crazy. No, I mean, that's kind of not nice. Mentally ill, being mentally ill. You have to watch your back. Even just as about as bad as when you're working with the the murderers, okay? Because when you're mentally ill and you're an old person, they will throw trays at you. <laughs> they will. You'll put a tray of food down, and they'll swing it at your head, and and things like that. But we still have to take care of them. See what I'm saying? So with the abusers, and and even with my my brother, who was so abusive to me. Um, even at a very early age, um, he was someone that if I wouldn't stand for someone to, you know, throw rocks at him or, or hurt him or something, I'd throw rocks right back. And somehow we carry that on into our life. And like you said, you become like the caregiver. My husband died in my arms, and he wasn't a very nice person, to be honest with you. But he died in my arms. And I was taking care of him, changing him, bathing him, feeding him what I could, you know. Um, at the end, many times you don't even want to eat, but trying to get water down him at least at the end. Uh, all kinds of stuff. A lot of people would have walked away. So we do these things. Um, people who know my mother and stepfather, and, and uh, they'd say, why would you even bother, you know, like when they were sick? Because we do these things. Now you, 
you talk about Gilda, okay? And um, my mother had a strange name, too. Her name was Maxine. I think that's a strange name. I don't know. Whatever. But, you know, she, um, I would take care of her when she was sick, and you would take care of Gilda. I did. I absolutely yeah. did. I remember yeah. calling a doctor for her once. I even remember, well, definitely remember, you know, doing everything. It was her, the rest of them, which added up to four more people, plus my grandmother. It was very, very needy. So she was the first relative that really only had anything to do with us. And she, um, I had to take care of all of them, and I just had this, I don't know how it happened, it must have came like that, had this knowledge of, that they needed taken care of. And like I would tell Gilda, did you call your mother today? Because she'd be in her own little world. I would have to actually get her attention and bring her out of her world, um, get her to refocus. And uh, that's how that worked with my grandmother. Um, and every time... We got fed Saturdays. We went to this one, her mother, every Saturday. That's the only part of the family I accepted. All I knew was we got fed. So um, just like being in, a, in that kind of environment, I knew that I was the one that was going to have to help the cooking and cleaning and mm-hmm. everywhere. I just felt where I was always needed. And Miss Gilda, you know, I got on. I learned more about her, so she had needs. I just knew that she needed help. The only thing that um, she really had a problem as an adult with me was her thought that she had autistic talent. It would really annoy her that I didn't like what she did. I have no idea why. I was just a kid, but it really did. And this was before I even knew I had any at all. I just knew I didn't like what she did. But when she started to sculpt when we had the ceramic store and it really looked like she might have caught on, I was so excited for her. I was like, yay, yay, Gilda. Even after everything. I think it's natural. You know, I didn't want to be that kind of person. So I figure, you know, as I got older, things happened because of circumstance a lot. So I was able to take the hate, the intensity of the hate off of everybody. I actually forgave my brother for most of the things he did, to, you know, with me once I saw what happened to him with that baby picture. of a, He was within hours of death. Three months, he was seven pounds from lack of food. Yeah, it didn't get any worse from that, but they let him take him home. He came home brain damaged. So I understood part. But just like you did with your brother, anyone who went after my brother, I went after to protect him. We become the protectors, okay? I mean, my nose has a a bad scar on it. I put the bridge of my nose. And I knew as a little girl that um, when Daddy was drunk, I called him Daddy because I didn't know any better, but I I decided that I was going to take his bottles out and smash him at the age of four. <laughs> so I, I, I took a couple bottles out that I found under the couch, the pillows of the couch. And the babysitter was there, 
my mother was working, my father, I don't know what the hell he was doing. I guess he was working, I don't know. Um, so anyway, she, she said, what are you doing? He's going to kill you. He'll kill you for doing this. She caught me too late, okay? I smashed bottles. Oh, yes, I did. So a big chunk came up, and it chopped me. The, the piece of glass came up, and it chopped me right in the nose, right in the nose. And my nose was almost off. <laughs> I almost died. It's not even funny. My mother was home quickly, and they, she rushed me to this uh, doctor, Dr. Vandersloos. That was his name. But this guy, he had um, not just a regular doctor's office. He had equipment that was brand new at that time. And um, because blood was going down, it was like um, it was choking me. And I, I guess I was uh, it was going to my lungs. I was dying because uh, I, I was, like, drowning on my own blood. And um, so this machine was brand new. They'd never used it before. They got so scared. They didn't know why it wasn't working. They forgot to plug it in. <laughs> they forgot to plug it in. So they plugged the blasted thing in, and it did save my life, but I was purple, evidently, for quite some time. He kept me overnight in his doctor's office and, and monitored me all the time because uh, he thought I was still going to die, and then, but I didn't. Here I am, right? So, I mean, these horrible things happen to children. You know, when you when you live in, in situations that are horrific. And what it does do is, is it sort of like becomes our fabric of who we become. It's like a part of our being. And certainly it, it breaks the spirit of a child. But at the time of four years old, five years old, um, six years old in a pedophile house until I was seven and a half and squealed on that nut. And then he chased me down with his vehicle. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. You know, um, the lives we've lived, we shouldn't be here. No, we shouldn't be here. But somehow we survived. And I, I still say, people say to me, Carol, you're so tough. Well, yeah, I am. But I had to be. You know, otherwise I, maybe I wouldn't be here, Okay. And I think we just get this, I wanted so much to live, especially as a child, right? Um, I had all this energy. I was an energetic kid. Um, I had friends all over the place when I was little and um, living where I lived and everything. And um, I just didn't want to die. And, and I didn't want any more violence. Police were called only one time on his very bad behavior. And I'm sure that many times people hurt him because he would scream so. Verbal abuse beyond anything that we hardly even know about. I'm sure he made up words, okay? (laughs) And um, it was somehow you live through it, okay? You you do. But we end up with many times, we end up with all different types of personality disorders. I had panic disorder, um, which everybody knows about. And, you know, I had all these things. And um, I lost my sense of direction in Staten Island because I was kidnapped and raped along with 14 other girls. 14, it would have been 15. She was in progress. But a teenager saw the little girl being pulled into the car by this nut, and he wrote down his his, uh, plate number. 
Because in those days, and I think this is a good thing, not a bad thing, in those days, they um, they would give the whole description of the person and their kids. That was bad, that part, okay, maybe when I went into school after the weekend because I was supposed to see my so-called father on Sunday go to Coney Island. I loved Coney Island. Um, you know, he was late, and I got pulled in. And this little girl, she was walking alone. Can't do that anymore. No, no, no. I tell people, don't let your children walk alone. And so the police had caught this guy, and and he was taken into jail then. And then we had to go to court, all of us, okay, and watch the monster get sentenced to a big whopping three years. And, and see, that's why I don't like the court system. I worked it. I had to with jobs that I had, but I hate it because it's just not tough enough on criminals when it comes to sexual abuse, sexually abusing children, crimes against children, okay? And this monster should have gotten life. In fact, everyone in that courtroom got up to their feet. Now, the 14 of us are standing in the back. The 15th, she didn't have to come because she didn't get taken, though, or whatever. And we're watching the adults scream at the top of their lungs, he should get life. He should get life. And you know something? He should have. Because that was 14 little girls that he he just broke our spirit. So you see, when we go through these things, we either in life, we either you know, become a part of the system. Many of us that work in the system or, you know, have bad backgrounds like you and I and a lot of the people on NASCAR, most of the people on NASCAR, right? Don't take a yardstick. Some are worse than others. Um, you either become involved with it and it becomes your passion, you know, to try and make things right in the system or just plain right just by doing what we do on the platform here, tell our story, and write our books, um, make our songs, um, do our poetry, and you with your wonderful artistic ability, oh, my God, the things you do. And people out there, she doesn't put her name on it either. (laughs) Is that selfless or what? (laughs) That's selfless, Lori. That's like giving Mm -hmm. gifts away, like giving gifts away. Okay. And and that's a wonderful thing. smile on the face. That's all I need to know. Well, I'm sure you've put a smile on many faces. There you go. <laughs> and it, for a good reason. So what I'm trying to get across is child abuse affects children differently. Either um, you become very inward and stay inward and, and become side cases, which is what I saw. Every one of them had gone through some kind of abuse, some kind of trauma. That's the word right there is trauma. All the jobs, whether it be detention, I've got some stats here, whether it be detention or or whether it be uh, Greystone Psychiatric, they tore it down, thank God, because it was too full of asbestos. And um, no matter where I worked, detox, all those places. And uh, But they all had backgrounds that were not nice backgrounds. They didn't come from normal homes. Do you know what a normal home is? Oh my! I I you know actually I do because I've seen from um, 
them as kids up until where the their mother had become a great grandmother and then died, and that's the kind of home that I like to retain um, mm-hmm. in my head. That memory I choose to to have. Um, back where I came from, I think I was one of the worst, but there was like four other families, but we were one of the worst, and it was just not a good place to be, but back then, and with us, of course, nobody turned us in, and I don't know why, um, the neighbors didn't call, because the house would rock, you could hear screaming, running, and with my crazy brother, you know. Oh, my God. I think that everybody was afraid of Gilda. That's what I think. I know what he recalled us then. They were taking us out of the house. Um, I know Jack told me that Gilda's sister told him to put us kids in foster care and then divorce Gilda, but he wouldn't. And that was because he had me all to himself because Gilda was in her bed all the time. So, yeah, my pedophile's dream to live with your victim. And uh, it wasn't only every night. It was all day long. This man just could not keep his hands off me. He thought I was his wife. And he was just sick. But the the thing about him, and which is odd, he had another personality. And that was the sociable one. And, boy, could this man socialize. He was the oh, yeah. one that would, women would flirt with. He was handsome, I guess, back in those days. Uh-huh. Um, he just knew. He, it was like he used to you know, play music and act like a normal person. Everybody loved him. And, that, and he was a good guy to other people. I mean, he would help those uh-huh. who were not his family. Unfortunately, you know, we got stuck with the uh, bad personality once anybody else in the room, you know, left. So it was a disaster. I don't know. That's what happens. That's what happens so often. He doesn't have to have, um, you know, a a dual personality, as it would be called. He doesn't have to have that to to be that way. You see, when when, when a person is... uh, you know, like I'd say, like a narcissist or whatever, so something in that. They they know how to charm people, okay? They know how to do it, and they're very good at it. Hold on a second. I, I don't have a bad throat. Hold on. <coughs> anyway, they know how to do it, and everybody on the outside will think that they're wonderful people, okay? But how often do we talk about even on this show? The minute the door closes behind the last person inside, what happens, okay? So on the outside, they're wonderful. They're charming. My brother was like that. Oh, God, I'm, I'm describing my brother. <laughs> but he would, when, when he and I would go to school, all right, um, if he saw a teacher 40 feet away carrying books, because in those days they had books, right? He would run like a maniac to go and help her and carry the books to the door, you know, to get into the school, wherever she was going. And I'd want to vomit, <laughs> okay, because I'm home cleaning up his messes. Remember that, <laughs> right? So, I mean, these people, they have a way about them. Now, he knew exactly what he was doing, and I think a lot of people know exactly what they're doing. 
you know, it's just a, a part of their personality. Yeah. And you feel like kicking them. And then I think to myself, maybe one of those rocks should have hit him in the head. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because, uh, you know, he couldn't keep his hands off of me either. So we go through this in our families, and it's disgusting. Okay. An abused child may not like a certain family member. Yes. I've got several of them. I'm sure you do too. Okay. Finally, an abused child may tell someone, hoping they will get help. But how often do they? See, that's the problem. Because so often people don't want to get involved. And that's what this lady is is like saying here. Don't forget, she was thinking about if I had known, if I had only known, you know, then maybe, then maybe I could have made a phone call. And it says here at at the very end here, it says, if you suspect abuse and the child trust you, let them know that you believe them and you will get them the help that they need. Now, that was on the highlights page of NASCA. And, Billy, if you're listening, that's where it is, on on the highlights page. And, uh, again, her name is, oh, I don't know where the heck it is. Oh, here it is. Um, Claudia Quigg, Q-U-I-G-G, Quigg. So that's just that's it, that's how it affected her because she saw this guy years later. He recognized her. They started talking. The only thing I think of is they were sitting, you know, waiting for a bus or something, maybe in the city, or whatever. And um, they started to talk. And then when she realized who he was, and he came up with this horrific story, because this is what happens when crimes against children are committed. You know, we have horrific stories to tell. And it blew her mind enough to make her write that article. So that's why I chose that. So um, it says here, maltreatment can cause victims to feel total isolation. Now, this is from childwelfare.gov. I put some things down here to talk about. Because um, we don't talk enough about it just on regular shows. Is that your doggie? I heard something. I don't know. And uh, my dog is out. I don't know. Maybe you made a funny noise. I don't don't know. That's funny. Okay. So it says here, maltreatment can cause victims to feel isolation, fear, destruct, which can translate into lifelong psychological consequences that can manifest. And um, it's difficult. You you suffer from low self-esteem. Depression, trouble, and and uh, forming and maintaining relationships. Relationships, Lori. You want to talk about relationships? <laughs> you want to talk about one. relationships? <laughs> I think you I get don't... into different relationships as you grow. That's what I chalked it up to. Not, yeah, we pick badly because of the circumstance. But, uh, you know, we were able to get out. Well, you were able to get out. <laughs> I feel like suck. <laughs> but I decided that it is time to take a break from um, just them, you know, the rest of the family and just do my, my thing here. It's time. So I'm semi-out. As you grow. 
Mm-hmm. You've grown. <laughs> you took off. You zoomed. You're the queen of you know what what happens. That's the advantage of some, having someone who's gone through so many horrible experiences and you being able to put it into words and get those points across. I mean, you really have a gift to do this. You know, I find you intense and I like it. You know, you you well, just call it what it is and tell whatever it needs to be told. And I think you're an asset to Nasca, honestly. Well, thank you so much for that. Gee, I wonder if Bill's listening. <laughs> he might have something else to say. Um, well, you know, I tell you what, if we don't speak about what happens to us, all right, and and um, if we don't educate uh, those out there who do come from good homes, I only know a couple people like that maybe. Um, I mean, I've had people walk out on presentations because they couldn't stand um, what I was saying, and I'd call them back. I'd say, hey, you, you go sit down. I'll tone it down, but I'm telling you the truth. Okay, I'm telling you the truth. And then they'll sit down. I remember one time, um, in the, and I wasn't in um, the usual university. I, I always was in, usually in, in one in Hackettstown. Um, but this time I was in a different county, and um, they wanted me to tell my story. So, okay, I told my story, and I, I'm, I'm like that guy. I'm very vivid with what I say. <laughs> you know, I mean, I told like it is, all right? And um, so when I was kidnapped, I noticed that this guy had a pinky ring on it, had many diamonds in it, and it was a beautiful sunny day, and the sun was shining through the windshield and was hitting the diamonds, and all the colors were, like, bouncing all over the place, okay? Now... I must have been a jewelry freak back then, too, because uh, I couldn't keep my eyes off of his pinky. So he said to me, and this is what made this gal leave, he uh, he said to me, little girl, if you're very, very good to men, someday you might have rings like this. He said that. Well, it's, I know. It sparked something in her. Okay. She got up, and she said, oh, like that, and she's walking out this huge auditorium. I don't know how many people were there. And um, so I said, ma'am, I said, hold on a second. Let's talk about that. So she turned, and she looked at me, and I said, that's something that a little girl had to listen to because that's what he said. Nothing more than that. That's what he said. So then she came and sat back down again, and I continued on with my story. But you see, if we don't educate people about pedophiles and and, um, mentally ill people, and I consider them to be mentally ill, although I don't feel sorry for them, they cannot fix them. They cannot. They've tried for decades to fix pedophiles. They can't. Uh, There's something wrong with their brains. And um, you can't fix someone who's, you know, mentally ill that way. You can medicate them, maybe. They've tried giving them all different kinds of medications, but it still doesn't stop them, Lori. So this is why we have to, you know, like educate the public, educate society, so they know the red flags of child abuse. Okay, so they know the red flags of child abuse. 
and then they in turn, if they have children, can um, you know educate their children age appropriately, so that they can say the right things to their kids, so that they know when they're in danger, they can spot it, have a better chance at spotting it. Okay, and that that's so so important because I I always say. I want so badly to help put that dent in the statistics of child abuse. Well, if people are going to walk around and say, oh, I want my kids to be innocent for as long as they they can be, and how many times I hear that, so stupid. They're doing an injustice to their child because we don't live in an innocent world. We never did. This is nothing new. It's just that now we are talking more about it. We do have programs out all over the place. We do have movies that are coming out. The Sound of Freedom. That movie made Miss Tough Lady, like I said, ball at the end. It triggered me. I was that little girl on the bed. Okay? And I, I, I just started to cry right in the movie theater. I didn't go boo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> I didn't do that. But I, I, I was crying, okay, and and um, that's boring to me because I never cry. I was never allowed to cry, and I became silent, okay. I kept those tears inside instead of letting them come outside. I wish I could cry more today. I really do. There's times I feel like crying, and maybe if I push it out, Lori, I might get a teardrop by God that will come down my face. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. So many tears. That's what happens. And you go through a bad thing in life, you find that those uh, emotions will exit you through that new experience. That's how it does. It's kind of cycling you up. That's why you grow. So, yeah, um, the the biggest problem is still the secrecy. Everybody knows that every family has one of them in there. Everybody knows. I mean, you and I, our friends who came to visit from New York, we were, I think it was 30 years, they said we know them. Their kids were little when they moved in. There's three or four of them. And we spotted a pedophile amongst the, the guests that they had coming to the house. So we told those people what was going on back there, but they were so interested in the partying. And it turned out that he did get the, the oldest of the, the girls, um, and she became at one time suicidal. And he sure. was us telling them. They, they totally ignored it. And she didn't want to tell because her father was friends with this guy. She didn't want to upset her father's friendship, which was really stupid. It's not a friend. I know. Yeah, who did things right out in public and nobody ever said anything. So I don't know why families still think they can keep it a secret, you know. People actually live, you know, closer and closer to each other. Everything's getting more and more crowded. It's not like it can be hidden. You know what your neighbors do, and the ones aren't really that good in cities. You know? Yeah. So yeah. everybody yeah. knows something. Sooner or later, you're going to hit it in the neighborhood, every neighborhood, even in the rich class. You well, know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So the ones in my neighborhood, 
Mm-hmm. I found out that the, the the house closest to my cliff over there. Okay, so he's a drug dealer. I figured he was anyway. But they told me the story about when this guy's kids were little that uh, both these neighbors would find the boys like snuck into their garage and they were like raiding uh, the freezer and stuff, looking for a place to hide, doing all this other stuff. So these people actually experienced through these kids what happened. And one was a teacher, one was a nurse. And never reported it. Yeah. I hate that. It didn't turn out well. It didn't turn out well at all. Well, see, that's the problem. See, like, I don't know, some weeks ago, when I was talking about that drunk, when when Marty was still alive and he was working in the city, sometimes uptown, sometimes downtown, depending on where he was, and they're all getting off the the train, you know, all dressed up, and women in their high heels, and and the the men in their suits, and all this stuff, and they have like an attitude, okay, about them, which I don't like. I don't like attitudes, okay, like that, because nobody nobody's better than anybody else. That's just the way it is, all right. So they they were stepping over the drunk in two degree weather. It was very, very cold. It had gone, it was like 12, and I think it was going down to 2. So it was somewhere in the middle there. And then the man was going to freeze to death. See, alcohol, it, it, it warms you up at first. And, and then what happens is it lowers your blood pressure. And people don't realize that. They don't get it. And then you pass out. And then the, if you're in a frozen situation, you're going to freeze to death. Well, I couldn't sit there and, and, and watch that. And yet the other people were, like, stepping over him and just going, eh, eh, like this, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I felt like kicking them, but I couldn't, okay. So I went over and called the cops. I made that phone call. It doesn't always have to be about children. It can be about adults, too. Any type of situation where a person needs help, we're supposed to, you know, step up and just do it. You don't even have to give your name. That's what makes me so mad at people with society and in communities, okay? You don't even have to say who you are. Just tell what you see, tell what you know. And and uh, so I knew the cops over there anyway. So they, they say, all right, we're here. Well, when we, what are we supposed to do with them, Carol? Put in our cell? I said, yeah, put them in the cell for a little while. But in the meantime, you call the mission in Morristown, New Jersey, and I will donate to them. I do. I can't give much, but I donate enough throughout the course of the year that makes a little difference maybe. So with them, they have a perfect program. On the bottom floor is a thrift shop. On the next floor up, they it's actually their, their living quarters. That's I had to look at it, the mission thing again. Yeah, that's their living quarters there. And uh, they have a kitchen. And then on the on the third floor is where they have their own AA meetings, and and it's for you know it's it's dually addicted, okay, dual addiction, not just alcohol. So anyway, I some of those people actually became you know counselors. I told you that. They they kept them and they rely on you know people sending in donations. So that particular man. I believe that he be, he became a counselor. Took time. Took time. 
but he became a counselor, okay? So, you see, you, you know, instead of getting off the, the train, being all snooty because you have it all together, uh, there's a lot of people that don't have it together, but you can help. And if you know that a, a child is being um, abused, for God's sake, make a phone call. You know, just call the cops and let them handle it from there. If you don't know the numbers to call, you know, 1-800-4-CHILD. I spoke to them the other day. I called that number, 1-800-4-CHILD, and they're still together. Um, you know, uh, they'll they'll make phone calls for you. They'll tell you what to do, okay, how to handle the situation. Because so many people are afraid of retaliation, too. Okay, that's always a problem, especially in the urban areas although it doesn't have to be just in the urban areas, right? Okay, so do what you have to do. You know, step up, be a person, be a nice person. Okay, so it says here, Crime Prevention and Safety Center. This is where this part of the article is going to come from. Um, People suffer psychological effects from physical abuse, feelings of hopelessness. They develop hate. I did. I remember develop hate, despair, misery, rage. Where do you think this stuff on the street that I'm talking about, where do you think that's coming from? Hate, rage. Some people become suicidal, self-harm. They can have scars from beatings. Many times they've been beaten so much they have scars. At one time they called me Scarface. Can you imagine that? (laughs) My makeup covers a lot. Um, actually, my scars have gotten a lot littler and that's small and faded. So, but I, I wear liquid makeup and it, it covers what's not. Okay. All right. Um, bruising, cuts, broken bones, health problems. When you're abused, man, you, your body is going to break apart. Okay. Undernourishment, and then death. And then something else, too, that's here, and it has some stats, because the time always goes so fast when we're together here. It says, what percent of criminals had childhood trauma? Now, the CDC, which I listened to, was some things, okay? But with this, it would be accurate. The CDC says approximately 60% of adults who have had at least one traumatic childhood experience compared to 97% of inmates. Now, they were dealing with the inmates. They were dealing inside of the prisons. So what they did, they did a study. So, and that was a question, what percent of crimes with the criminals had childhood trauma? And they say approximately 60% of adults, okay, had that. Okay, so that, that gives you a little bit of an idea. Personally, I think that I was surprised. I thought the number would be a little bit higher than that. All right. Um, maltreatment, school exclusions, police contact, and uh, all this other stuff is what happens to kids when they're abused. They get into trouble because they've suffered from maltreatment at home, and that's a bad thing. Um, crime occurs mostly on the second or third decades of life. No? People out in the street, they're in their second... It's hard to tell how old they are, you know what I'm saying? They're all hooded up. I don't know what they look like. 
Um, but, I, you know, so you're not uh, seven years old, you know, 14, you're 18 maybe. I don't, I don't Who knows what you are? The second uh, decade, say, say around 20 then. Um, males commit more crimes than females. And um, let's just say they're more apt to do property damage. Well, okay, the looting that we see going on in the stores, um, that's, yeah, they smash windows and stuff, but they're also more apt to probably do B&Es, you know, breaking and entering. And they do a lot of shoplifting. Yep, that's what they're doing, all right. <laughs> okay. And uh, and that's, um, with the shoplifting, though, women can be just as much of a shoplifter, just about. It's very close as men because they all want something, don't they? Okay. Now, it says here males are more apt to reoffend than women. Being abused as a child increased the likelihood of arrest as a juvenile by 59% as a juvenile. See, 59%. And why is that? That's because they develop anger, rage, um, and they just become very, very delinquent. Many times they get into alcohol and drugs. We all know this. I certainly got into alcohol, and I popped pills. As an adult, 28%, and as for violent crimes, the true violent crimes where people, you know, go around and whack each other, if you will, um, that's 30%. So this is what, you know, child abuse does, you know, to children. If they don't get the help that they need, if they don't get the help that they need, those stats, are probably pretty, pretty accurate. And I'll read that again. Being abused as a child increased the likelihood of arrest as a juvenile by 59%. As an adult, 28%. And for the violent crimes, 30%. Now, that that comes from a crime uh, page that I was on. I find all kinds of stuff, don't I? <laughs> I'm writing them down real fast. But, um, yeah, I found this uh, this crime thing, and I, I wrote it down as I was reading it. I wrote it down. So that gives you some idea what can happen. All right, we go through all kinds of emotional abuse. We go through all kinds of problems growing up. It affects our relationships. It affects all different kinds, the way we behave. And when it comes to if we have criminal tendencies, um, you end up in juvie like where I used to work. Um, I think I'm fingerprinted all over New Jersey just about because I've worked all kinds of strange jobs. But um, the point is, um, yeah, you're more apt to end up in juvie or you're more apt to end up in prison, and you're 30% more apt to maybe kill someone. So that's what I have. That's what I have. And, you know... They also, too, I was reading and writing about the verbal abuse. People don't take that so, you know, like that's nothing. Because verbal abuse can actually cause all different kinds of problems, too. And it's just not right. It causes all the feelings of inadequacy. It causes feelings of, of sadness. And the suicide rate is so high right now. And And I get it. Um, because of the world that we're living in, people who are, you know, not stable, they're more apt to be the ones that are going to uh, maybe even try, you know, to commit suicide because they already don't like themselves, and then they get that feeling of hopelessness, 
I was talking about before, and that's where it comes from, you know, from where you came from, and that's the way that it is. So it, it's it's a terrible thing, you know, with the uh, verbal abuse can cause children to suffer from low self-esteem, which can lead into depression. Now, I was considered clinically depressed at one point in my life, and that was after I tried to commit suicide at the age of 17 because I didn't know how to, to marry properly, okay? Um, I didn't know what to look for in a guy. All I ever knew my my whole life, and Laura, you know that, is violence. That's, and you too. I mean, there's there's so many of us who were introduced to violence. There wasn't love. No one ever told me they loved me. No one ever patted me on the head, you know, hey, you're doing a good job or any of that other stuff, you know. They did say I was a good athlete because at one time I was a very good athlete. And um, they did say that I could sing well. Maybe someday I'll sing you a song. And uh, or I could play the piano. They they recognized those three things, okay? That I played the piano, I could sing, and I was a good athlete. Now, that felt good that they said that to me. I admit that. But when it came to the actual care, there was so much neglect. And there was so much, um, you know, not caring that my brother was a weirdo, right? And, and uh they kept him from going bad places like jail, all right? They had their ways. I'm not going to say any more. And uh, it, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't right. That's all I can say. I don't know where he is, and I don't want to know where he is. I don't know. I don't care. And that's what happens. So with the verbal abuse can also cause eating disorders and cause problems with growth and development. I guess so if you have eating disorders. Also, with your muscles and your vital organs, child um, be, child abuse becomes, uh, and a child will become weaker and weaker, and this causes developmental delay. So when a kid isn't being fed properly, um, they're not being cared for properly, that can cause their, um, devet, don't, yes, their delay. They did lay that delay. They're just not going to develop right. Forget about it. Yes, they have well, uh, low self-confidence. Victims subject to, I can't read my own writing here, I was writing fast. <laughs> Victims subject to constant verbal abuse may fail to develop a positive outlook and show positive confidence, which can affect them into adulthood, if not addressed. See, everything goes into adulthood unless you get help. And, and you know, how many times do, like, teenagers get the help that they need? I didn't get any help. Did you? I don't no. think so. Mm-mm. We didn't get the help that we needed. So we had to wait until we got older, and uh, we realized that there was something wrong with us. And, you know, me with the suicidal ideation thought process, um, I knew that I needed help, and um, I didn't think I was going to commit suicide, but my mind kept thinking, I just want to die. Because everything, uh, the people that I chose, like uh, like I said, like intimate partners, um, husbands and all this other stuff, I didn't know how to choose. And then they almost killed me, so, <laughs> you know, whoa. So, you know, this isn't good. This isn't good. So this is what abuse does to people. Children who are abused seem detached and depressed. They may appear frightened or, or petrified. 
they use obscene language and bully others. See, that's where your bullies come from. I was talking about the last show we had. The bullies look inside of the homes. They display signs of emotional disturbance, and they have minimal interaction many times with others. That's why they do, you know, stay to themselves. Now, verbal abuse can do all of these things inside of the house. You don't have to be hit. I was reading that article. You don't have to be hit. But if a child is downed all the time and told that they're no good or stupid or or whatever, it creates all of these feelings that I just mentioned. So, Lori, you know, I mean, hypervigilance, hypervigilance, depression, stress, memory gaps. Yeah. Yeah. The psychological effects. And this is just a verbal abuse. I mean, I could do a whole show on what I'm reading here. Um, Talkspace.com. That's where I got that from. Talkspace.com. You want to read about verbal abuse and what it can do to you? Go to Talkspace.com. And um, you'll find that there. So, And it does go into uh, adulthood. So never be ashamed about getting help. Okay, the shame shouldn't be put on you. You're the way that you are because you were abused as a child. And unfortunately, too many times, like I didn't start getting help until, what was I, 28, 29 maybe. And that's even young for a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't get help until they're in their 30s or 40s. And they certainly don't tell their stories until they're around that time, many times. So it causes all kinds of grief. That's what it does. And it's now with the world that we're living in, people aren't thinking too much about child abuse. Excuse me. It's 365 days a year. It never takes a vacation. And child abuse is happening so much now in our country because of all the craziness that's going on with Israel and and, uh, Palestine and and all those other places, Hamas, everything you hear about on on the radio or on the TV. Children are getting their heads chopped off. Can you imagine that? I saw a reporter out in the street, and um, I don't think it was New York, though. I don't know where he was from. He didn't sound like you on me. <laughs> I don't know where he's from, but anyway, he was he was talking to this one uh, he was talking to this one teenager, and um, he was asking the teenager, "What do you think about you know what you know about what's going on in the news? I mean, how does that affect you? What do you think about all of this?" And um, now this teenager wasn't just a regular teenager, Lori. He was someone that had been. Involved with the Israelis, I guess he came from Israel. He came over here. He's, he's over here. And um, but before he came over, he saw a lot of the fighting going. That's been going on for how long now? It's going on, and he managed to escape. Well, that's been you know from the 30s. Okay, we know of course about you know all that stuff that happened. The skins of a Jew. You go to a, an antique store to buy a lamp. Many times the lampshades are made out of the skins of a Jew. That's the truth. That's documented. Michelle already and knew that's that. Disgusting. Michelle, 
It is disgusting. I, I, when I when I found that out, this is something that's well known. I didn't know about it until a few years ago. I won't buy a lampshade from an antique uh, store because I don't know where it came from. That always stuck in my head. <laughs> you know, I mean, you learn things as you as you go along in life, and uh, it's almost like genocide where they're trying to get rid of Jewish people again. I'm not Jewish. I'm Catholic. You know, and and. Uh, uh, Marty was Jewish, very moderate. And when the elders passed away, they stopped being Jewish. That's what they did, to be honest with you. They never went to the synagogue or any of that other stuff. That ended. But um, the point is, whether it did, whether it didn't, the point is they're people. All right, they're people. And And they have been, you know, targeted for many, many, many years. In 1946, in 1946, we gave um, a certain part of the land, you know, to the Jewish people. We did. It wasn't very big, okay. And the Palestinians couldn't uh, stand that, stand that. So they were trying and have been trying for many years to get rid of the Jewish people. That's the truth. Now I learned that from a soldier, a Jewish soldier female soldier because in my family I mean on Marty's side not my family <laughs> forget that on Marty's side um, there was this girl who was a soldier and she was visiting relatives of, of Marty's so we went over and I wanted to meet her I thought it would be a cool thing and she was a very cool person and one thing I did learn about the Jewish people is that they're very tough <laughs> they're tough. And honey, the Brooklyn Jewish people, they're really tough. That's where Marty came from, okay? And this girl, I don't know where she grew up, but um, she was probably from New York, too, you know? And she became a um, she became a soldier, and she went over to Israel. There's a lot of people that do that. There's a couple of people in, in Marty's family that went back if you want to call it home, I don't know. They went back there. So she was over here visiting, and um, she wasn't allowed to take her uniform off. And I think that might be a, a rule. You walk, you wear your uniform, wear it proudly, whether you're American or whether you're from there or wherever. But um, actually, their uniforms are very similar to ours, and um, the, the Army ones especially. So... Um, but it was very interesting talking to her. And she was showing me all kinds of guns and stuff and showing me all kinds of ways of using it and and uh, so forth. She, she was an interesting person. And I did learn a lot about, you know, they have, they're good fighters. They're not going to take what they're taking and just leave it that way from what I can see. Because they've been fighting all their lives. Since 1946, when land was given to them, and they were always being pushed off of it. That's all I know. I don't know any more than that. So, it's like we're having a religious war. That's what it is now. And I don't want we, the people, to become truly a part of it, but still it's in our universities. Now, this is crazy. It's in our universities, too. 
you know, kids standing outside with signs. Some are for for people from Israel, other people are for the the Palestinians, and um, and all this other stuff. All right, freedom of speech, but they're getting nasty. This is what happens. They don't just have quiet um, things going on, protests. It gets nasty. And uh, over there, for God's sake, yes. Um, if you watch the news, I'm not saying anything out of line here. If you watch the news, um, little babies talk about child abuse. Little babies are getting their heads chopped off. I think, what kind of a monster would do that, Lori? Yeah, it's a monster, but that that doesn't surprise me. Kids, they're not even looked at as humans half the time, and I think that's part of the problem. They don't know that. Kids have brains, that's their, their thing. You know, if they thought of a kid as a complete human being instead of young form, that might make them think twice. They have to know that kids absorb what they're saying, even though they don't know how to express it or react to it. Um, it's like just a not easy way to go about doing things. But we got to move forward, you know. It's happening. It's out there. I mean, how bad does it get? It doesn't get any worse than that. And it's no, like probably going to be one of those, like, your hanging period went through. They're going to probably be doing it in public and betting on it and all that. It can get real sick. You know, if it keeps going, it doesn't stop. Who would ever think from our generation that someone would shut a baby's head off? That, that, that would have never even a thought anyone and today it's like getting common yes it's going to be a common thing we're hanging the kids on the doors and you know what they do to kids today um has to be somewhat like you gotta have people out there that want to gather up as many as they can and help them that's what it's about it's like kind of going as a person goes into war, you go into a kind of survival mode, you know. Somebody's, you got to keep doing this. It's either you're the abuser or you have to help the abuser. That's just the way it goes. Uh, definitely my head. I think everybody's head. you got to do something. You just sit back and watch it. And that's why a lot of people, oh, the other guy will do it. Or, you know, I'm sure somebody else, I'll help you, all right. It wasn't that bad. He's still walking straight. You know, that kind of stuff. And there's too much of it. You know, I saw when I went down to the school, first day I saw um, a dead kid on the hood of a car with all the students gathered around him. And the cops hadn't gotten there yet. So, I mean, I really got a look at him. It was was a horror scene. They never even printed it in the newspaper, you know, that stuff. They still try to hide the atrocities that are going on. You can't hide them. We know it. So everybody's got a job in this world. It's, you have to. It's just that's what it is about. This virus coming forward, working it through. Hopefully, they do go into um, recovery stage where they can turn into counselors. Because I think that those who go through the abuse actually make the best counselors going. That's a key element to to knowing, you know, connecting with the therapist. It's not all book smart, you know. 
You could yeah. not not much wise you could have a PhD or something, but you could get into an office with someone and not know what to say to them. Just because you have the tools doesn't really mean that you know how to use them. Talking is a gift. And I think I'm telling you, everybody who listens to this show, they learn to talk, you know, from you talking, you know. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're your Lori, you, know what it is, Lori you're, you, you do very well, too. <laughs> yeah, but I'm younger than you. That's okay. <laughs> no, no. You, know, well, you have more wisdom than I do. So it's better well, when you talk. No, you do just fine. You just you do just fine. Yes, you do. Okay. And, and, okay, uh, keep talking. You know, <laughs> well, you know, you know, I'm I'm being serious here. I'm being serious here. You know how I am. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you if you were a co-host that wasn't you know very good, I'd say something. And uh, but you're very good, and you have a lot to say also. When you've been mm-hmm. in NASCAR for a while, okay, now I've been here for almost 14 years, and then two years with Lori, okay, over in Canada, okay, um, that's where she's from, but so 16 years on the radio, you learn how to talk, you learn what's pertinent, what's not important also, you learn all different kinds of things. And, and either you have a gift for it or you don't, you know what I'm saying? Some people have to try harder. Um, many times, like, when I have a show to do or something, a lot of times I have time to really prepare for it. Um, tonight I thought, again, that we were going to have a guest, and I don't know what happened. Uh, can't tell you. Uh, it wasn't anybody I spoke to. But um, the point is I had to throw things together real quick. Well, okay. I learned how to do a lot of that in school, of course, because we had to always do all these things. You know, get information, do a lot of research, and and I, I wanted to do it anyway, and because I'm, I'm a research buff, I really like doing research. I like that, so I, I learn a lot of things. But if we don't share it, what we learn, if we don't help educate, that's part of our mission statement right here. You know, the first I think that's the first part of that. I just read it so fast because I'm so used to. It. You think I know it all by heart? You'd think so. But we're supposed to educate the public. That's what it says. Okay? That's what we're supposed to do. And if we don't do it, and we're the ones that are the, um, you know, the survivors, who better to do it than us, you know, to educate the public? So, you know, those of us who can go out, who talk a lot, you know, and do all kinds of presentations, um, I've done presentations in churches, too. But I haven't gone into the Catholic Church. I have to admit that. Uh, I don't think I'd be allowed in there. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I can't answer that with all certainty. You know, speaking about child abuse, all right? I know the last church that I was in, um, what was that? Was in, sort of like a, a Methodist church, I think. Um, the guy wasn't too happy that I was there, I could tell, all right? I don't know if he was a deacon or, or what the heck he was. But um, on the other hand, I was allowed to you know, go in and do a presentation there. What for? To educate the people. Because I'm hoping that, you know, the ones that showed up, most of them were, you know, part of the parish. But on the other hand, there were people from outside too. And um, 
if they care about their kids and we educate them, tell them about NASCA, N-A-A-S-C-A dot org. Tell them about the programs that we have. That little bit that I read tonight that um, from that gal because she was feeling bad afterwards, you know, she wished she'd known something at the time. If she'd been educated, that's what she's saying. She's a lot older than him. Um, she could have helped him maybe if she'd been educated. And it's your your child is never too 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 young to educate certain ways because people ask me that. They say, well, how old, you know, do you think I should uh, start with the child? How old should the baby be or the little kid be or whatever? And um, when children, when you give them a bath and a tub and, and they, they say, Mommy, what's this, what's that, what's this, what's that, whatever, you can educate them about their bodies, but you say it in a way that's not funny. You don't call them stupid things like coochies and, and cookies. What else have I heard? Hot dogs, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Things like that. Don't do that. Tell them the way that it is. Educate your child the right way. Do them that thing. Make it a part of parenting. I'm talking to parents right now because we only have 60 seconds. Make it a part of parenting. And and when your kids get a little bit older, sit down with them and talk to them, not at them. And and educate them. Look at the NASCA, the website, and uh, under prevention, intervention, and recovery, they teach you how to talk. To your children Okay And and then you'll have a safer kid Hopefully Right I think so So anyway We had a good show tonight And um, thank you so much For being on with me Lori That was great And um, You're welcome Yeah We always have a good show Alright So I have to say goodnight and, and turn this off now So I'll talk to you later Or tomorrow Whatever Okay hon Okie doke night. Okay Good night, everyone be safe. Another tomorrow Cause that dawn You are forgotten After all that you've done Another tomorrow That dawn Love Talk Radio